How you doing? So how are you doing? You know, it's kind of a, a crazy, kind of busy time of the year for lots of people. You know, Halloween was last week, and you probably had some extra events in your life because of Halloween. You know, there was the, the trunk or treat here at, uh, at Burning Bush, and then maybe you had kids or grandkids to help get ready or take uh, trick-or-treating on Thursday, and then there were maybe some extra activities for you and your spouse during the week, and then you have... Thanksgiving coming up really quick, and Christmas is just around the corner, and maybe you're already thinking about Christmas shopping. Maybe you've ever already started Christmas shopping. How many of you have already started Christmas shopping? Okay, yeah, that may be 30, 40%. You've already started Christmas shopping. So it's kind of a crazy time of year, and some of you are married, and some of you aren't married, and some of you are single, and, and, and some of you may never get married. Have you ever kind of thought about that? And uh, like, what if you're single for the rest of your life? Or what if you're married and you wish you were single? Or what if you're married and later you meet somebody that you wish you could marry, but you can't marry them because you're already married? Or what if you meet somebody and you wanted to marry them and you didn't realize they wanted to marry you because you didn't look at your Instagram and realize that they had posted something nice on you and so you had kind of missed out on that? Or what if you marry the wrong person? Doesn't that mean that you have the wrong kids? Or what if you get married and you marry the right person and you have the right kids but you live in the wrong city? Or what if you get married and you have the right kids, the, you marry the right person and you live in the right city but you send your kids to the wrong school? And like you send your kids to the wrong school and then like you gave them the wrong name and they're made fun of all the time? Like why would you give them that name? I mean going to school is hard enough when you have a normal name. Like why would you do that? Or what if you marry the right person and you have the right kids and you live in the right city and your kids go to the right school, but you have the wrong career? Now what are you going to do? I mean, you have responsibilities, right? I mean, you've got mortgages to pay or a mortgage to pay and you maybe you got a car payment, maybe you got health insurance, maybe you got life insurance and you know you got to feed those kids, you got all this different kind of stuff stuff going on, you have a coffee habit that you've got to support. You got to buy braces for your kids because if you don't buy braces for your kids, then they're going to marry the wrong person. And then you're going to have the wrong grandkids, right? And then that's like a really awkward conversation to have with your grandkids, right? Or, or, or maybe it's this. You don't have time to think about any of that because you're behind on your emails and your text, right? Like you're trying to catch up on that. And like your mom texted you last week and you still haven't texted her back? Come on, it's your mom. Text her back. Or you've got bills that need to be paid. Why haven't you set up automatic payment plan in the, two, in the year 2019? I mean, like, why are you still mailing checks out like you're a caveman from 1999? And what about your retirement? How's that going? You'd be a millionaire now if you hadn't spent all that money on your coffee habit, right? So now you might as well just go get you a grande double shot express because you're going to need the caffeine because you're going to be working for the rest of your life. So, how you doing? 
Help me fill in these blanks. Say these out loud if you would. I'm ready to throw in the towel. I'm at the end of my... I'm just a bundle of... My life is falling. I'm at my wits. I feel like resigning from... Everything, that's not the... The human race. So maybe you're a little stressed this morning, Eddie. <laughs> but I don't think you're the only one. I think stress is kind of an epidemic in our country. I don't know that there's ever been a time maybe where people are more stressed or more anxious about things. It just seems like everywhere you look, you ask people how they're doing. How you doing? And they'll say something like, you know, I'm tired, I'm stressed, something along those lines. They tell us, the research tells us things like this. 62% of all college students say that all the time they feel overwhelmed. That's more than one out of two. All the time feel overwhelmed. Overwhelming anxiety is the exact phrase that they use. We have first and second graders that are throwing up now getting ready to take their milestone tests when they take those in the spring. First and second graders. I saw on NBC News not too long ago that there's a high school up in Oregon that will give uh, students up to five mental health days a year. So when they're stressed out, they're feeling anxious or whatever, they don't have to go to school that day. And for adults, they tell us that 75 to 90 percent of all hospital visits are stress or anxiety related, or at least they attribute and make them worse. We spend over a trillion dollars a year in medical expenses treating anxiety and stresses in our culture. So we talked last week, and you go all the way back to the Old Testament. And you find out that emotions are not something new. And stress and anxiety is not something new. And we kind of looked at David last week. And we're going to look at David again today. And we're going to look at David as he experiences some anxiety and some stress in his life. And we've kind of established and we looked at Jesus the first week. That God creates emotions in us. And emotions aren't wrong. You know, sometimes you grow up and you, you have that impression that the emotions are wrong and people just tell you, well, you just shouldn't feel that way. You should feel this way. But we said we've kind of established the fact, starting with Jesus, that emotions are a way that God can lead us toward to be closer to him and become more spiritually mature. So the question is not that, that emotions are wrong and you shouldn't feel that way. The question is, where are your emotions going to take you? And we kind of use that, uh, that picture of the road sign. And we said your emotions can take you different directions and you kind of have a choice. And last week, you remember the Ford Fairmont of shame that I talked about? And by the way, I heard so many stories about some of your cars that were, you were ashamed of, you were embarrassed by, they broke down, all those kind of stuff. I heard a lot of, a lot of wonderful stories. Uh, my favorite story might have been the person that was in this service came up to me after, and he was talking about the check engine light that I had mentioned to you a couple weeks ago in the sermon. He said, yeah, you mentioned that on, a, on Sunday, and he said, my check engine light had been on for about three weeks, and I kept blowing it off, and he said, then my car quit on two days later on a Tuesday. It's like, hey, God, God, God warned you. It's your fault, man. <laughs> 
But anyway, we had, we, had a, we had a good laugh about that. But we talked about the Ford Fairmont of shame. It's not that you sh- don't or shouldn't feel shame. The fact is that sometimes that happens in your life. So then the question becomes, where are you going to go with the road sign? Are you going to go to a place of, of isolation and secrecy? Or are you going to go the other way and let God into the vehicle, the, the, the Ford Fairmont of shame, and drive that with you and, and for you, and you go to a place of freedom and independence and forgiveness? So that's the question. Where does the emotion take you? And so this morning, we're going to talk about anxiety. Where will your emotion of anxiety take you? And so i kind of been on this whole car thing, and I was trying to think, what of my cars that I've had through the years, which one of them represents anxiety? It would have to be that Ford Pinto that I showed you last week. You remember that the Ford Pintos were famous for people running into the back of them and blowing up? I mentioned that in the Chronicles of American Automotive History is probably one of the most unsafest cars ever made. And, and you know, they, they recalled those and fixed them and stuff. And I don't know if you can read that very well, that keep off my rear, I'm explosive. You know, if you're putting something like that on the back of your car, you know, then you know you've got a kind of, kind of a bad car. Well, we had that 1971 Ford Pinto. I had that before I married Renee and then after we were married for several years. And, you know, even though that I took it in and had it fixed after the recall, it was kind of always in the back of my mind, like, what if? And, like, especially, like, like if a big 18-wheeler or something would start getting too close behind me, and, you know, I'd start getting that white-knuckle grip on that steering wheel, you know, wondering, you know, if he's going to plow me over. I mean, it's bad enough to be in a, in a car where you look at the tires and, you know, the 18-wheeler tires are at your head level anyway because the car is so small, and then it has a reputation for blowing up. And so that car kind of created some anxious m- moments in our life, you know, like, like what if and worst-case scenarios, and that's kind of what anxiety will do to you. So where does the anxiety leave you, lead you? And David is going to help us be intentional and invite God into that anxiety. And one of the things you have to understand when you read the Psalms is the Psalms aren't necessarily prescriptive. In other words, David doesn't necessarily, when you read the Psalms, give you like this six-step thing. Okay, you do this step, this step, and this step. Write those steps down, post it on your refrigerator, and just do that and everything will be okay. That's not usually the way the Psalms are written. The Psalms are usually more emotional and more experiential driven. That, that's that's kind of how they are written. So what David does is he kind of pulls up in the pinto, so to speak, and says, hey, climb in the back seat. Not much of a back seat, but climb in anyway, and uh, go with me on this journey. He's not necessarily going to give us these, these steps, although we will have an outline this morning, so you can kind of follow along a little bit. But he invites us to kind of go with him and see what he's struggling with in this journey that he's on. So we're going to start in verse 1 of Psalms chapter 55. I want you to listen to these words because you can can just sense the emotion just immediately. He says, listen to my prayer, O God, and do not ignore my cry for help, exclamation point. Please listen and answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. Here's the first thing I want you to notice today. We need to come clean with our anxiety and stress with God. 
David speaks of being overwhelmed by his troubles. And in a few moments, he's going to identify what some of those troubles are. But I want you to notice first, we just recognize that David is honest about his anxiety about being overwhelmed with troubles. He comes clean to God. Maybe you grew up in a home or in a church where that was considered a, a weakness, that you, didn't, you weren't supposed to feel stress or anxiety, or at least that you weren't supposed to admit it. It wasn't okay to do that. But David is very vulnerable here. I mean, you can't help but notice his emotions. And he confesses to God that he is overwhelmed. Don't you think that would be hard for David I mean, in some ways, David personifies the tough guy image, the, the John Wayne image. I mean, as a young guy, he had a certain reputation that he wasn't afraid. I mean, everybody else is terrified of this 10-foot giant named Goliath. And David rolls on the scene, and he's not scared. He's not afraid, or if he is, you, you don't sense it. But I don't think he was because it tells us that he prays to God and asks God to deliver Goliath to him. And he marches out on that battlefield and he looks at this nine foot nine inch giant and he says, Goliath, dude, I'm going to chop your head off. And then that's exactly what he does. So this guy has a reputation kind of as a tough guy. He's, he's a giant killer. And you know, if you have a, a certain kind of reputation like that, it's kind of hard to be vulnerable. If you have the reputation of being the person that fixes all the time, it's hard to admit when you need to be fixed. If you're the person that has the reputation of rescuing people all the time, sometimes it's pretty hard to admit that you need to be rescued to say those words i need to be rescued and david shows tremendous courage in admitting that to god i don't think that was easy for him you know sometimes we're just all oh, don't don't be anxious don't be stressed out don't you know god takes care of the birds he'll take care of you just smile go on don't feel that way but that's not the approach that that david takes here he's honest with God. And let's be clear, this is not a weakness. There are times in your life where you're probably going to have great faith like, like David did with Goliath. And then there's going to be times in your life when, when you're just going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be anxious. The stress is going to be up to here. Notice the phrase, because it kind of amplifies the emotion here. It says, do not ignore me. It kind of gives some depth to his emotion. This, this phrase actually relates back to a time when a man would see his neighbor needed help and he would just walk by and ignore his neighbor. So David is saying, God, don't do that to me. You know I need help. Don't ignore me. Don't, don't walk by me. Don't be that person, so to speak. David is begging God not to do that to him. And he's just honest. God, I'm overwhelmed. Overwhelmed means I can't do this anymore. I'm not strong enough, or, or I'm not smart enough. I thought I could handle this, but I can't. It, it's just overwhelming me. It's gotten heavier. And it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are. It just becomes too much. 
So saying I'm overwhelmed means I'm not strong enough. I, I, I can't do this. I'm not brave, brave, brave enough. I'm not wise enough. God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Don't ignore me. Rescue me. David also says, listen to my cries for help. There's just a lot going on in David's life, as we're going to see, and he can't control it. And you know, oftentimes in our life, there's a direct connection between our stress and our anxiety and the things that we feel like we can't control. We, can't, we feel like we can't do anything about it. And so David is going to talk to us about some things that we can't control, and as a result, the anxiety that he kind of feels. And so you may have noticed that we brought a couple speakers up here this morning. And I think sometimes what happens is we feel overwhelmed when there's a lot of things going on in our lives and we can't control. And it's like somebody is just turning up the anxiety in our life. And it just gets to be all kinds of noise. And it just keeps getting turned up and it gets turned up and it gets turned up. And we start to hear it, and it gets louder, and it gets louder, and it gets louder. And pretty soon, it's just kind of affecting everything in our life. And it's just kind of always there. And we wake up in the morning, and we hear it. And we go to sleep at night, and we hear it. And it's in our ears, and it's the stress of work, and it's the demands that happen at home. And maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a financial issue, and maybe it's struggles in parenting, and it's the bill collectors, and it's just all these reminders in our life that tell us that we're not in control of everything. And sometimes it just gets so loud that we have trouble even getting through the day. And that's what David's saying. And maybe that's where some of you are. Like, there's just this, this noise of anxiety. And it's just there all the time. And it's affecting the stress and the anxiety. It's affecting your health. And it's affecting your relationships. And so the first thing David does is he just comes clean about it. God, I'm struggling with this stuff. And then he kind of makes a shift. That's the second thing I want you to notice today. We need to pray specifically rather than generically about what is creating our anxiety. He makes this shift from the generic to the specific. And I think we help turn down the volume of the stresses in our life when we do that. When we start praying about them specifically instead of just generically. Because if we can name the issue, then we can bring it to God more specifically. And that has a way of just kind of turning it down in our life. And so David does that in verse 3. Listen again to these words. It, it is strong language. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me and angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Some strong words. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. And David is so honest here, it almost makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? I mean, you just raw emotion. And he's praying about his enemies and what they want to do to him and what he wants God to do to them. 
And he kind of describes these anxieties, and he's saying there are some people around him that are making his life difficult. And he doesn't specifically say who they are, but lots of people feel like, scholars feel like he's probably talking about the rebellion of his son Absalom, when Absalom kind of took over the kingdom, and, and David had to flee and run for his life. And then they were trying to kill him. And, and at one point, David, uh, Absalom, his son, takes David's harem, his concubines, and his wives. And he sets up a tent in a public place. And he parades those women in and out of that tent, basically signifying that, that he is sleeping with them. And this just is a total disregard for his father. And it, and it communicates to the entire nation that I'm the boss now. And so many people believe that's when David wrote Psalms chapter 55. These terrible things are going on because of his son Absalom. And you know this morning, if I was to ask some of you to name a specific stress or anxiety in your life, a lot of you would give me a name. It would be a person that's creating the anxiety and the stress in your life. And a lot of times that's because you can't control that person. Because we think in our minds, if I could control that person, the stress and the anxiety would go away. If they would just do what they're supposed to do. If I could just control them. If they would just feel the way they're supposed to feel. If they would just respond the way that I want them to respond. If they would just do what I told them to. If, if they would just change like they needed a change a long time ago. And then I wouldn't feel these stresses and I wouldn't feel this anxiety. And so there's this connection between what we can't control... And what creates stress and anxiety in our life and, and in the way we feel? And maybe right now some of you are in, in those kind of relationships. Maybe there's, maybe there's this, this person that, that you confided in and you were good friends and you texted all the time and you told them things that you hadn't told anybody else. And then like one day they're not in your friend group anymore. And then they're, pretty soon they're not answering your texts, they're not returning phone calls, they just ghost you. No reason. And you feel vulnerable and you feel hurt. There doesn't seem to be anything that you can do about it. And it creates this stress and anxiety in your life. Or maybe there's a significant other in your life and you want them to feel a certain way and they don't seem to feel that way. And you want there to be a certain attraction and there doesn't seem to be that certain attraction. Maybe it's with your spouse and you want to control their feelings and act like you want them to act and, and, and they're not doing that. And in these kind of situations, it's like the more we try to control, the more they kind of push away. And then the more they push away, the more we try to control, right? And then they push away a little bit further and we try a little bit harder. And you just create this, this cycle of anxiety. And then we get in all the what if questions. What if they never like me again? What if he never says it? What if she never feels that way? What if he cheats? What if he cheats again? What if he doesn't say yet? What if she doesn't say yes? What if he never asks? Just all these things that we can't control. And parents, grandparents, do we not understand this dynamic? Like if we could just control our kids, right? I mean, don't you ever feel that way? Like, if I could just control their decisions, their choices, their feelings, their emotions, their, 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 their food, their entertainment, 
And here's the biggie. They're, they're friends. If I could just control them, my life would be so much easier. And so what happens? We get scared for them. We get anxious for them. We get stressed out. And we see them going down this path. And we think to ourselves, what if they don't come back from this one? What if they can't turn it around? What if they marry that person they're dating? What if they never come back home? What if they never leave home? And we just have this anxiety and this stress. And, and the more we try to control them, the more they push away from us. And the more we try to control them and they push themselves away a little bit more. And it just creates this cycle. And it just makes us anxious and stressed. And so David, he's, he's talking about these kind of things. And he brings up a different person, we think, in verse 20. And he says this. He says, as for my companion... So it doesn't sound like he's talking about his son. A lot of scholars think he's talking about Ahithophel, who was his trusted confidant, who was his trusted advisor. He said, as for my companion, he betrayed his friends. See, this trusted advisor of his left him, and he switched sides. said he betrayed his friends, he broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but his heart is war. His words are soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. And David gets even more specific here about this betrayal of somebody that he trusted and somebody he thought he could count on. And you know, when somebody breaks your trust, it's hard to trust again, isn't it? Don't we always tell our kids that? You break my trust, and it's going to take you a long time to earn it back. In relationships, somebody breaks your trust. In a marriage, trust gets broken. Maybe that person that said they would love you forever walks out. That trust is broken and it's, more, and it's even harder to establish it a second time. Trust is a, is a fragile thing. And when it gets broken, it's hard to trust again and it leaves us anxious and, and fearful and stressed. And so we get down into, I'm going to kind of back back up and I'm going to go back to verse 6. And David is kind of taking this vehicle, so to speak, down some pretty dark paths. When, but when you get back to verse 6, it's interesting what he says. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would fly away to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape far from this wild storm of hatred. Ever feel that way? I could just want to get away. Like, I'm just going to cover my ears and I don't want to hear anything anymore. Just leave me alone. Don't, don't say daddy again. I don't want to hear it anymore. Don't call me, I, you know, moms go lock themselves in a bathroom because they just had enough. Listen to how the me message paraphrases this. Get me out of here on dove wings. I want some peace and quiet. I want to walk in the country. I want a cabin in the woods. Our psalms are starting to sound like a country song, isn't it? I'm desperate for a change from the rage and the stormy weather. It's like, I want to go out in the country. I want to find a cabin in the woods. I just want to get away from this deafening noise. I want to find me an Airbnb and a cabin out somewhere in the woods. I want to move to Montana and just live off the grid and, and not have to have contact with people anymore. Just get me away from it. But then you get, go back to verse 16. We're kind of skipping because trying to make the points about the different things that are going on in his life that he brings up later on in the verses. 
Look at verse 16. How his anxiety begins to kind of move him as he begins to invite God in. He says, I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon, and night I cry out in distress and the Lord hears my voice. So he says he'll call on God. Morning, noon, and night. This is how he's going to start his day. This is going to be the middle of his day. And this is going to be the end of his day. You know, I think sometimes we think, you know, you, you pray about something once and it's gone and, and you're kind of done with it. But he says, morning, noon, and night. I've got to keep talking about it because the volume keeps coming back up. And I have to keep bringing these things to God. I was kind of thinking, is that what we kind of do or not do? The morning, noon, and night thing. Because I think we kind of do just the opposite of that. Rather than bringing it from God, how do most of us start the mornings? I mean, maybe you do pray, but then what's the other things you do in the morning? You probably turn on the news or you pick up your phone and you look at the news. And so what you do is you spend like 15 or 20 minutes watching or reading news to find out about all the terrible things that happened the night before, right? The things that you missed out on while you were sleeping. That makes us feel real good, doesn't it? No, it usually makes us feel anxious and stressed, doesn't it? And then the next thing we usually do, if you, if you still work, is you get out your calendar and you look at all the things you didn't get done yesterday that now you're going to have to do today on top of all the other things that you have to do. And so I start my day by remembering everything that's wrong in my world and everything in my life that puts pressure on me. And then we kind of do the same thing in the evenings, don't we? A lot of you watch the 11 o'clock news, and, you know, there's, just, there's another shooting in, you know, in Chattanooga, and there's another kid that's been abducted, and, and there's a, somebody's lost their house in a fire, and you just feel terrible about that, and you finally turn off the TV, and you pick up your phone, and, you, you know, you start looking at Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and, and then you notice, like, like, everybody else has life figured out. Am I the only one that's making a mess of this parenting thing? And... Well, by George, look at those pictures. They just got a new kitchen. Those got to be new cabinets. And look at that sofa. If I zoom in on that, yeah, they got a new sofa. And I've still got my crummy old sofa. And so we do the same thing at night. We create all this anxiety and stress in our lives, discontentment, stress, and anxiety before we go to bed. We turn up the volume of anxiety. When we get to verse 16, David starts making a shift. And he stops so much talking about himself. And this is a pretty common shift in the Psalms. And he begins to recognize who God is. And he turns the corner from not just being specific about his prayers, but also about who God is. And I think sometimes in our life when we pray, and we give this list of all the stresses and anxieties that are going on in our life, and then we just end the prayer there? I think we can actually create more stress and more anxiety in our life because we're just naming them all off. That stops when we start acknowledging in our prayers who God is and that God is in control. And then you turn the corner, which brings me to the third thing you noticed this morning. We shift from talking about ourselves and our problems 
to what God can do. And that's exactly what David does. Verse 18. God ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me. Though many still oppose me, God has ruled forever. Who has ruled forever will hear me and humble them. And so for David, when this, when this volume of anxiety gets turned up and it gets higher and higher and the circumstances and the situations of life and, and we start doing the whole what if thing, David learns to talk to God. So again, the anxiety gets turned up, right? And we start playing the whole what if game. You know, what, what, what if it's, there's a school shooting? What, what if one of us is involved in an accident? What if, he, what if my husband loses his job? What if the economy crashes? What if, what, if, what if this person becomes president? What if somebody in my family gets a, gets a terminal illness and, and, and the volume is just turned up? But what David is talking about doing is turning up the volume on who God is. And we start turning up who God is. And it's not that these things don't coexist. Because the anxiety is not necessarily going to go away. It's still going to be there. But we start turning God up. And what God can do. And God gets louder. And God gets louder. And we begin to worship Him. And He drives out the worry. And He drives out the anxiety. And some of you understand this. Because you come in here this morning and you feel beat up, and maybe this happens a lot in your life. But you come in here, and you hear God's word, and you begin to worship, and the anxiety and the stresses and stuff, they begin to fade, and you give it to God, and you start to feel some peace. But notice how David ends this psalm. Verses 22 and 23. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. You give them to God morning, noon, and night, and he will take care of you. Notice it doesn't say he will take care of all your complications and everything will be roses. He does not say, give, give me your burdens and I'll solve all your problems. He says, I'll take care of you. That's what he promises us. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're just going to have the opportunity to turn some of those stresses and anxieties over to him. And he's going to lead us in some worship to practice what we've been preaching. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, We thank you for the book of Psalms and we thank you for the truths that we've looked at this morning. And Father, I know that I, I can't imagine that there's not everybody in this room doesn't have some kind of stress or anxiety going on in their lives. It's just part of being on this earth. But Father, sometimes the volume gets so loud that it just overwhelms us. And Father, I just pray that we take some instruction and some comfort from David. 
that we learn to turn these things over to you and turn them over specifically. And Father, there's, there's not a weakness in admitting that we can't do everything. Father, I just pray for those that are just feeling overwhelmed today. Father, I just pray that you meet them right where they're at. Father, help them to unload those burdens on you, to turn them over to you. I just pray that they can turn the volume up on who you are, your goodness, your unconditional love for us, your care. I just want to pray these things in Jesus' name.